appreciate uh, all the families that share these past four weeks and they're a little bit, a little insight. If you're a guest, I'm David, I'm the pastor of the church. We're glad you're here. It's Memorial Weekend. There's a little bit more seating because people are going. It'll spread a little bit. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. I know for a lot of you, I mean, for all of us, that should be a special time, though. As today we set aside as a country to remember those who, in serving our country, gave their lives. And those of you that were in the military, I'm sure many of you know people who gave their life uh, for our country. And that day probably is a little bit harder for you. And uh, know that as your pastor, I'll be praying for you uh, on that day. We are in a series entitled The Big Messy, dealing with family life. Family life can be messy, marriage can be messy. Debbie and I, uh, I, when I was on staff at Park Hills, I put together a couple's retreat. This was in the late 80s, I think. Never did it again. This one, it, was, it was disaster, man. I mean, one couple, absolutely, they left in separate cars. They messed up so bad. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's honestly true. And so sometimes I tell you stuff's not really true, but that part, that's one thing I really true. And... Um, and so Debbie and I were sitting there, and they started talking, you know, the, the person's doing the speaking, and she said, how many of you women out there really want to mother your husband? And, my, and Debbie shot her hand up, and I'm like, what? When did that occur? And so the speaker looked at her and said, Debbie, in what ways do you want to mother David? And she said, I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. I thought you said smother. And so <laughs> that was totally... We had a lot of pillows on our bed. I was always concerned. There were like 50 pillows on our bed. You know, now, you know, it's just me. It's just sheet, sheet, bedspread, two pillows. That, that's it. That's good. I don't even sleep on the bed. I sleep on the couch because the bed's made. I don't want to have to make it up every day. It's just done. You know, because I mean, it gets messy sometimes. It really does. And so we saw, we started this series. We, we were at the very beginning. We went to Genesis 2, and we started with Adam. And, you know, we saw Adam waiting on a woman. Eve came, and, and God gives us the blueprint for marriage right there. That's what, what he expected. Never changed. I told you then that when you come to the New Testament, and, and when you come to the New Testament, sin is entered the equation. But in the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, they always refer back to Genesis 2. You're going to see that today. Two weeks ago, we saw David sin, how it affected his family. Last week, you know, the dumbest wise man that ever lived, you know, uh, Solomon. And he just really messed up, you know. And, and so today, though, we're going to come to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, at some point, you've got to come to Jesus. Because Jesus, I mean, he settles everything, doesn't he? He just settles it all. And so today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19 in a message entitled, Cleaning Up the Mess. We're going to see Jesus kind of clean up the mess. And uh, here's kind of what I would like for you, if you come to the message today, to see this. Is there any way to clean up our mess? Because in family life, it's messy. So is there any real way we can clean up our mess? We kind of come there. And as I begin, you know, this part of the sermon, I want to talk to you about the ultimate mess, you know, in family life. And, and you know, there's a lot of different ways family life can be messy. And if it's your situation, your mess is the worst mess. And I get it 1,000%. But I think at the end of the day, in general, we could just say that divorce is the ultimate family mess. Because by the time you get to a divorce, that thing is just messed up. And some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. My mother is an absolutely godly Christian woman. I mean, she in every way. And I, I don't think I'd be a follower of Jesus if not for my mom. I really don't. But my mom, when it came to being married, and that wasn't her strong point. I mean, um, my mom got married to my dad when she was 18. Now, they had grown up together. They were high school sweethearts. Dad was like a grade two ahead of her. She didn't actually want to marry my dad. And I didn't even know this. Debbie tells me this. I learned things about my family. Debbie found things about my family I never knew because guys don't care, right? We don't ask any questions. We don't care. Women want to know everything. And so she, and she tells me this, and I'm like, I don't care. 
if I'd have cared, I'd have asked. But for some reason, you think I care. And now you're causing me anxiety. But I didn't say that. I thought that, actually. I never actually said that to her. But my mom didn't want to marry my dad. And so my grandmother wouldn't speak to my mother. I mean, she just owned her. Made my mother's life miserable. So she ended up marrying my dad. She's 18. They had me when uh, she's 19. And then when I'm three years old in 1964, uh, she gets a divorce from my dad. And you understand, she's the daughter of a Baptist deacon. And going to a Baptist church. And uh, she's a single mom. And, you know, that's, and, and she divorced. I and mean, that's kind of gutsy, to be honest with you. Back then, it, was kind of, it is back then, if you know that time and that era. And she ended up marrying my stepfather when I was five. Uh, they had my sisters, you know, and then everything's cool. Eventually, when my mom was in her late 50s, I guess early 60s, I don't remember really when it was, you know, she divorces my stepfather. And, you know, and so, you know, marriage was never her, her best thing. And uh, of all the things she did. And, you know, she, I, it was funny because, I guess funny, I'm living in Bridgeport. Debbie and I are in San Antonio visiting family. And we're out walking around going to a Starbucks, I think. And I see my mom walking the other way one night. And she's got a guy she's with. And I'm like, you know how creepy it is? To see your, you do, <laughs> to see your mom, you don't even know what I'm going to say. You just know it's creepy, man. Whatever you're going to say is going to be creepy, you know. To see your mom out with a guy, you're like, I'm like, hello. And, you know, then she introduces me, and, I'm just, and my wife thinks that's so good. I'm like, what are you talking about? A few years before my mom dies, my dad had been divorced and remarried twice. <laughs> my dad confesses to me, you know, I never stopped loving your mother. I say, What? I never, I never stopped loving your mother. I'm like, oh, gosh, why do you tell me? Why do people tell me things? There's nothing I want to know. And I'm telling Debbie, my dad's still in love with my mom. She goes, wouldn't it be great if your dad marries your mother? I'm like, no. I don't want my mom and dad to be married. That may sound weird. I do not want my mother and father to be married. My dad actually died three weeks apart from my mom. They died three weeks apart. Uh, divorce of 48 years, divide three weeks apart. Uh, when my mom, you know, when she's in the hospital, you know, my stepfather comes, uh, my former stepfather comes, you know, and he's still in love with my mom. Then there's the guy that she's dating who would marry her except she didn't want to because she was sick. And I told Debbie, I said, when my mom died, there was like three men in love with her, you know. <laughs> I would never say anything to dishonor my mom. So I want you to know, when I talk about divorce, I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to say anything but what Jesus teaches, the truth. Because I would never in a thousand years do that. I'm not going to give you any practical steps to clean up the mess. I'm not going to tell you four or five things. I'm not going to give you five love languages. Good golly. I couldn't even figure out one love language, and they're trying to give me five total. Who came? That's just, just, guys, just walk away. But I am going to tell you what Scripture says and what Jesus says. Matthew 19. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Now, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. The parallel passage is found in Mark chapter 10. He's on, he's on the way to Jerusalem. He crosses the Jordan River, comes down the east side. And he gets to a point, and the, and the crowds are amazing. I mean, he's healing them. Mark says he's teaching them. There's tons of people, and, and, and they're following Jesus. And he's in an area that's even with Judea. He's not actually in Judea, but, but they're trying to give you some understanding. And this is why that's important. Because the local ruler at that time, you know, Rome rules everything. But the local ruler at that time is Herod Antipas. And that particular Herod is the Herod that killed John the Baptist. 
And he didn't want to kill him, but he did, but he, did, but he didn't. But he killed him because of his wife, because John the Baptist criticized his marriage to his wife Herodias, who was married to his half-brother. And she divorced his half-brother in order to marry him because her, you know, she was ambitious. And so he killed John the Baptist because of this. So this is all lurking in the background, all right? So verse 3, some Pharisees, always the Pharisees, they came to Jesus testing him. Now, the idea of testing is to find fault with, to fall into trap. You know, if you're a school teacher, you, you're supposed to test your students to see where they are. Where are you? You know, to get an understanding. You might do a physical test to see where you are physically. But this concept of test is for failure. They want him to fail. And so they ask him this question. Is it lawful for a man? Not, woman, you're not, woman is not even in the discussion. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Can he put her away for any reason? And the word lawful means permissible. Is it okay? And the concept of reason is a reason without blame. So are there, is there a case that a man can divorce his wife where he can be without blame. Is there any reason at all? Now, I've got to tell you at this point that you, you need to understand that in the background of all this, and I'm going to talk about this passage a bit more in a minute, is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And in it, it says that Moses writes that if a man finds something indecent in his wife, he can give her a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, the concept of indecent pretty much is understood to be unfaithful if she's unfaithful to him. Now, Moses wrote that. Moses, when he wrote, you know, 1,300 years, give or take 100, depending on when you date the Exodus before Jesus is Moses. But this, this rule has just stayed the whole time. And so they're there at the time of Jesus. And there's two schools of thought. There's two groups. There were a couple of rabbis a little bit before Jesus, one named Shammai, one named Hillel. You know, and they kind of had two schools of thought. Shammai was very conservative and said the, the idea of indecent is only, only, only for adultery. Now, I want to make this clear at the onset, at the very beginning, that you understand this, that in the day of Christ, adultery was always an acceptable form for divorce. Divorce and remarriage, always, always, adultery was acceptable. That's not debatable. That's not a question. They all understood that Jesus understood that, that if the woman was unfaithful, the man could divorce her. Now, it's the other way around, you know, in Moses' time, that wasn't there. By the time of Jesus, eh. But mostly this is a male-oriented world, okay? And so one group that followed Shemaiah, conservative as all get out, said that's the only reason. And Jesus would agree with him. And the other group who followed Hillel said the word indecent means anything. So if the wife wasn't a very good cook, you could divorce her, you know? I wouldn't try that at home, but you could. If you found someone prettier than your wife, Maybe younger than your wife. I mean, you get the picture. This is a male-dominated world. The, the men could do that. So they're asking him, can you divorce your wife for any reason? Because all the guys are saying, yeah, we'd like that world. Very few sided with the more conservative views. So they're trying to get Jesus to side with Shemaiah so that all the people will turn against him. At least the men will. But you ought to know better by now when you're dealing with Jesus. And so he answered and he said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, what Jesus did is just brilliant. He goes past Moses all the way to creation. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I preached from Genesis chapter 2. He goes, have you not read God made them male and female? That's how he made them. Now, in rabbinical thought, in dialogue, in discussions, there was a rule that the older passage, the older argument carried greater weight. 
Since creation was before the time of Moses, anything that Jesus could argue from creation on the subject matter carried greater weight. So from the beginning, he affirms that in God's way of doing things, he made a distinction between men and women. He created us male and female. That holds true even to today. Male, female, boom. Then he says this, and he goes to Genesis chapter 2. Now, remember last three weeks ago, I preached from Genesis chapter 2. And and I explained all of that about marriage. If you want to, I'm not going to re-explain it. If you want to know what it says, go back to that message, Waiting on a Woman. I'll be honest with you, it's a great message. I loved it. I've I've listened to it four or five times. Every time I'm impressed. (laughs) Just kidding. No, really, I am. It was a good message. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I do okay. I stole it, but it's still okay. For this reason, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. And be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, he doesn't quote all of it, but he quotes the one verse that covers all of it. It covers it. And so he stops there. He quotes from Genesis 2.24, you become one flesh. And I talked about the one flesh relationship. It isn't just physical. It's the emotional. It's the, it's the spiritual. It's the total connection. You become one, okay? You become one. So notice what Jesus says. This is Jesus now. So that they're no longer two but one. They're one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God says you're one flesh. So what are you knuckleheads doing? Tearing that apart. What in the world gives you the right to do that? In God's way, and now Jesus is affirming Genesis chapter 2. He's affirming that passage. He's saying this is the standard of God. Now, I understand sins entered the world. But God hasn't changed. Sin doesn't change God. And Jesus affirms everything that's in Genesis 2. But they were prepared. They were waiting for this. Uh, They knew Jesus might say something. So they're going to get him. Here he goes. Well, they said to him, then why did Moses command, command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Why did Moses say, well, you got to do it? Now, what they're saying is this. Why did Moses say that if you find something indecent, you have to send her away? That's, that's what he said. Now, let's go back to that time. Women, you've got to understand the day of Moses, there was no rights, even in the time of Jesus. Now, in the time of Jesus, there was a little more leeway. There was a little more give into this, to the subject, okay? There was a little bit more. Because by the time Jesus, you see women in Scripture like Lydia, who was a seller of purple clothing. You see Phoebe, who had some freedom. Um, you see Priscilla, a tent maker with her husband. Uh, you, you see women following Jesus. So you, there, there was some of that. But in that day and age, women had nothing. And if a man was displeased with this woman, then he could descend her the certificate and divorce and get rid of her. So understand this. The man could legally ditch his wife with no recourse by the wife. He could just kick her to the curb. I'm through with you. And there was nothing she could do about it. There was no protection in the law. And so Moses said, give her a certificate of divorce to protect her, which I'll explain a bit more. And they said, Moses commanded that you do it. If you were displeased with your wife, you were obligated to get rid of her. What do you say to that, Jesus? Huh? Because that's found in the scriptures. Verse 8. Because of your hardness. Now, he's not talking just about Moses' time. He's talking to the Pharisees. 
The word hardness means stubborn, unyielding, sinful. Because of the hardness of your heart. Moses permitted, not commanded. He made it possible for you to divorce your wives. But, but from the beginning, for, before Moses, before sin, it has not been this way. Moses allowed it. That wasn't God's way. Now, here's what you need to understand. When the guy divorced this woman and divorced his wife, and she had nothing she could do, she had three options. Number one was to go back to her family. But the assumption was that if the man found something indecent in her, she was at fault, so her family may not take her back. The second option was to get married again. And maybe there was a man who lost his wife who would marry you, but even then, his concern would be, well, what did you do that your husband would divorce you? And second, there weren't a lot of men around. I mean, there weren't many. The third was you could become a prostitute. And they were vulnerable. And so what would happen then is that they would have no options because it would be assumed that she did something indecent. And so Moses said, you guys, you give your wife a piece of paper, a certificate that says what it was that you divorced her for. And you clear her of adultery so that she can take that paper and she can go live with her family. Or a man would then marry her looking over and say, oh, so your husband was just a jerk. Okay. Well, then I'll marry you. And she had legal protection. Jesus said Moses allowed it. So that's not what he wanted. Because that's not what God's way was. God's way, from the beginning, was to be together. You see, from early on, God was protecting women. God was always protecting women from the very beginning when this was going on. And Jesus wasn't through. Now, Jesus is about to lay the hammer to the men. And I say to you, Jesus says, I'm talking now. This is me. And by the way, in our world, you want to know what Jesus says? This is pretty, I have people all the time, well, Jesus this, Jesus that. No, he didn't. Here's what he says. Whoever divorces his wife, talking to the men, except for immorality. The word immorality comes from the Greek word pornia. For the term porn, it means sexual sin. It's a general term. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, it covers everything. In fact, it's such an important word that outside the context, it sometimes refers to wickedness or evil. I was reading the other day a passage talked about the evilness, the wickedness of the people, and the word was a form of pornite. It always deals with something immoral. Except for that, if you marry another woman, you commit adultery. If you divorce your wife, guys, that's what he's telling them. Except for her unfaithfulness, which is what you want to do. You want to divorce her for any reason. You have committed adultery in the eyes of God. And Jesus settles the whole thing. And Jesus affirms marriage. And we live in a culture today that struggles with the concept of marriage. That spills over into the church. Now, I know the reality is most men and women instinctively want to get married. Men instinctively want to find a woman to spend their life with, and women instinctively want to find a man to spend their life with. It's just something that happens. It just happens in every culture. But our culture is pushing back that marriage is not necessary. And it spills over into the church. So you need to understand this. This is so important. If you have problems with marriage, you have problems with Jesus. I hear people all the time, well, you know, pastors, here's the thing about marriage. I just want to say, stop, 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 stop. Here's what Jesus did. Anything you say other than that, you're at odds with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I have found in my life, I don't like to be at odds with Jesus. I don't want to disagree with Jesus. If my doctrines, if my belief and my theology disagree with Jesus, I'm kind of the guy that says, maybe I ought to go see what Jesus says. Here's what he says. Understand this. 
Jesus valued marriage between a man and a woman. And if you follow Jesus, then you must, you must value marriage between a man and a woman. Now, I'm not saying you must get married. You can stay single within the parameters of what's acceptable, that you don't commit pornia, immorality. I mean, and, and if you never get married, it's fine. If you're, if you're married and single again, you, 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 know, you have options. You're widow, you know, you, I have options. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you still value marriage. And this is what that means. That means that some of you need to get married. Because you pretend and act like you're married, but you're not. And you're not where Jesus wants you to be. And some of you have some really dumb ideas about marriage. And you need to change those dumb ideas about marriage. If you don't want to get married, don't get married. But don't pretend what you're doing is okay. Because it's not. Because Jesus says, it's not. Just go with him. Now, we live in a messy world. I get this. And we're talking about cleaning up the mess. And this is what Jesus does. He makes it very clear. Marriage between a man and a woman goes back to creation. This is the way God wanted it, and he still wants it. And I affirm that. So, we have to still look at the world we live in today. Which brings you to the second thing, what God wants for you. So I'm going to take this sermon, and I'm going to take this whole month, and I'm going to come into the mess that we live in, until our world is so full of marriage mess. And we're going to try to help just for a little bit of the next few minutes. And here's what I want to say. Divorce is not what God wants for us, but he knows in a sinful world sometimes it's our best choice. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Sometimes divorce is the best choice. I'm going to give you three examples of why divorce from the scriptures, about the scriptural support, is the best choice. Adultery is one of them. You have a one flesh relationship, one man, one woman for life. If someone cheats, they have broken that. And the offended partner can get a divorce. It's perfectly within his or her right. And they can then get remarried, and they can then go on and have a Genesis 2 marriage. You can always have a Genesis 2 marriage. That's ne- a Genesis 2 marriage is never off the table for you. There's none of you in here who can't have a Genesis 2 marriage. A second reason is abandonment. Your spouse abandons you. Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 7. A man or woman abandons their spouse. He's talking about believers and unbelievers, but it's the same thing. If the purpose of marriage is for you in Genesis 2 to have complete each other, complement each other, one man, one woman for life, security, all of that stuff, you have that and your spouse abandons you. That marriage relationship has then been broken. And Paul says, you're free to divorce and remarry. And the third is not directly dealt with in scriptures. But if you understand what it means to be one flesh, and that's an emotional, and there's a sense of security and completion and complement, then the third reason I would suggest to you is abuse. And normally, almost, almost always, it's men abusing women. And here's the thing. Ladies, if your husband abuses you, you can divorce him. Don't think for a moment that God expects you to get the dog beat out of you, and that's okay. Any person who's a follower of Jesus and thinks that a woman or a man or a child should be in a home environment where they're abused physically or emotionally, you're off your rocker. You do not understand Jesus, and you do not understand what a marriage is. That one flesh relationship's been broken. First of all, I will tell you this. Every man that's ever abused his woman, wife that I know of also cheated on her, so that's probably already done. If they abuse and molest your children, I mean, that is, not only is that criminal, 
but it completely violates the sanctity of marriage. If you don't think that's acceptable, God, just don't talk to people about marriage. Just stay quiet because you're crazy. Because there's no way on the faith. And listen, here's the other option. Shoot them. I don't know know if you're going to get away with that. I'll support you. But get a jury of your peers. Abuse women. Oh, you'll get off. Listen, it's a messy world we live in. I get that. And there's always sin involved in it. But you can still have a Genesis 2 relationship. So here's what I want to tell you. Some of you, you know, you've been divorced for a variety of reasons. I get it. So here's the thing. You can't change yesterday. I tell you this all the time. But you can change today and tomorrow. You cannot change your past. You can't undo it. So I don't care if you're in your first marriage, your second marriage, your third marriage. I don't care if you're between marriages one and two or two and three or whatever. You can't change all of that. You can't fix it all. But how do you clean up the mess from this day forward? You commit to a Genesis 2 marriage. From today for the rest of your life. If you're in marriage number one and you're in a mess and it doesn't have those other three areas, you commit to a Genesis 2 marriage. You make that marriage work. If you're thinking about marriage number two or marriage number three, just go into it saying, we're going to have a Genesis 2 marriage. We're going to have that type of marriage. I mean, just that is your commitment. And here's the thing. Don't give up on marriage because Jesus didn't. God doesn't change. He wants a man and woman to spend their life together, to complete and complement each other for security and protection, to worship him. That doesn't change. He still wants that for you, no matter what your situation is. He still wants that for you today, his way. So I think a lot about marriage. You know, I think about Debbie and I. We were married 40 years, two months, 13 days, in about nine hours. That's 14 hours, 14,684 days in about 13 hours. I just did, I have plenty of time in my hands, so I did the math. I don't think we had, we didn't have a perfect marriage. You know what I mean? And, and I know we had a mess because I probably created it. That's, that's what I was told many times by people. Man, you made a mess of things. You know, it's funny, it, it, as time goes on, I don't remember any of the messes. I don't. It's only been seven months. I just don't remember any of the messes. All I remember is all the good stuff. Oh, there was great good stuff. There was wonderful good stuff. And as I bring everything to a close and I think about cleaning up the mess, I don't for a moment think that we had the ideal marriage and the model marriage, but we did have a marriage that lasted 40 years, two months, 13 days, and nine hours. So here's what I will tell you about a Genesis 2 marriage in my life. In the end of the day, This is all I have to go on. We loved each other. We were committed to each other. We put each other first. And we always forgave each other. Always. When we had a mess, we never gave in to the mess. We never gave in to the mess. And we always trusted Jesus. And I think maybe most importantly at the end of the day, we never ever thought we would never be together until death do us part. We never, ever thought we would never 
be together. Why is that? Because of Genesis 2. We built our marriage on that. That a man and a woman would spend their life together. Complimenting. Completing. Protecting. And loving. And when the mess got messy, we just made it through the mess. So I began the message series three weeks ago by saying this. The way God made life work is that a man needs a woman and a woman needs a man. That, my friend, never changes. It just never changes. And Jesus agrees with that 100%. So you value marriage. You wade into the mess and you make it work. And if you have a legitimate reason to get out, so be it. You do that and we'll help you and support you. But understand that ultimately you in your life have got to find a way to clean up the mess and have that Genesis 2 marriage. I'm going to be here. A few other guys will be here. Ladies, sometimes you prefer to pray with another woman. There'll be a lady or two here. Maybe you want to pray with one of us about whatever, your marriage, your family, your situation, whatever. We'll be here to do that. You want to join our church, give your life to Christ, whatever you want to do. We'll, we'll, we'll be here if you want to do that at all. But here's what I want to remind you. As we bring this series to a close, it's messy. It's always going to be messy. But you can clean up the mess. You can clean up the mess by having a marriage the way God always wanted it to be. Just like he told us. Just like Jesus agreed with. Well, Father, we thank you that we can come and we can open up the Bible and we can hear what Jesus has to say. They came to trick him. They came to trap him. Lord, Jesus always makes it so clear, so simple. This is what you want for a man and a woman to spend their life together. Whatever our situations may be, whatever mess we may be in, Father, that's always possible. It's always possible. You don't ever give us something that's impossible. We can have that. That has to be something we pursue. That has to be our goal. We have to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand.